Welcome back to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Clay Skipper, joined with Steve Magnus, Brad Stahlberg. I had a big slate of topics to talk about today, but then when I logged on, I saw Brad with a gigantic glass of liquid, which I thought was a huge glass of whole milk. Turns out it's not. It was a smoothie. Um, But I think we're going to be talking about milk today. I know you guys have been waiting a long time for this one, so we'll get right into it. First of all, Brad, what is what is in the smoothie of yours, and specifically what kind of milk is in it? Because I know everyone has a has an opinion on milk and what type of milk to drink. The smoothie's got protein powder, bananas, uh, a little bit of peanut butter, and some chocolate chips. It's got ice as the base, and then it's got unsweetened almond milk. That's uh, that's what's going on in the smoothie. Now, we've got a whole repertoire of milk in the fridge. We've got the unsweetened plain almond milk, unsweetened vanilla almond milk. We've got the Oatly oat milk. That stuff is so great with iced coffee. Uh, we've got 2% milk. And then we don't currently have any whole milk in there, but we had these frosted mini wheats two weeks ago, and we had to get some whole milk to eat with the frosted mini wheats because that is just bliss. Uh, so different milks serve different purposes in, in life. It's kind of like everything, right? They're tools in the toolkit. <laughs> you're, so you're working with four different types of milks, at least. I mean, at least if you go like sweetened versus unsweetened. So listen, the almond milk, the unsweetened almond milk is for the smoothies. If I were to use whole milk in this smoothie or even 2% milk, it, it would just be too much because it's a big old smoothie, right? To get all that protein powder ground up. Uh, the Oatly oat milk is just phenomenal with an iced coffee. So the afternoon iced coffee, that oat milk, it, it mixes in there so perfectly. Uh, and then you got to have some 2% milk. I mean, come on, that's like the staple. So that's that's there for cereal. That's there for the kids. Uh, the 2% milk is there for hot coffee. I find the Oatly, when you put it in hot coffee, it doesn't really mix in very well. So that's only for the iced coffee. Uh, and then, like I said, frosted mini wheats, that was an occasion that called for a quick run to the gas station to get some whole milk uh, because there's nothing like whole milk soaking up in those frosted mini wheats. Uh, Steve, did you know that it was possible to have this many opinions about milk? No, but it doesn't surprise me that Brad has this many opinions of milk. So it kind of fits his character, I think. What's uh what is your milk of choice? I mean, I'm a standard milk guy, meaning mostly whole milk. Occasionally, you know, you throw the two percent in there if that lasts longer from the grocery store. Um but I actually, you know, I, I hated milk growing up until I stumbled upon chocolate milk. And then because, you know, I was advanced in my understanding of uh, protein and recovery, it became my recovery drink of choice was downing a whole bottle of uh, chocolate milk after every every run and workout. And then ever since then, you know, I diversified into regular whole milk and then I've stayed there since then. So I don't have any experience with these almonds or oats or any other things like that that, that you know, Brad's playing with. I'm, I'm just a simple guy. Clay, what about you? I'm also a whole milk guy. My rationale is that we know that the more processed a food is, the worse it generally is. And whole milk seems the least processed to me. It's also why I stopped drinking skim milk because I was like, well, the process of removing the fat. I don't know. I'm not saying this is uh, backed by science. This is just my armchair expert theory. I think oat milk tastes the best, but I'm like, that's just go- I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of things in there when I read the ingredients that I have no idea what they are. Almond milk, I'm pretty neutral on. I don't dislike it or like it. Um, I don't have strong feelings on it. Whole milk tastes delicious. Definitely is very high in fat content. Um but I'm also like it's the least processed, so maybe I'm just justifying what I think tastes the best. But that's where I that's where I stand on it. I mean, let's just all agree here that skim milk should not be in anyone's refrigerator. <laughs> skim milk just tastes like bad water. Yes, agreed. Agreed. 
Yeah, that's why oh, I go with that. almond milk. That's why I go with almond milk for the smoothie because it's it's lighter. So again, like I can have 16 ounces and not be sick. Um but the almond milk industry like they've they've done it. They've come up with a lighter milk that doesn't taste gross. So here's the thing, you know, I'm going to take you back to my running days is we had this thing where we'd eat meals and then go run right afterwards. Uh, because, you know, in the summers you couldn't, you didn't want to run during the day. So you had to wait until like seven, eight o'clock at night. And then you didn't want to eat dinner at 10 o'clock and try and get to bed. So we'd eat dinner right before we'd go run seven, eight, nine miles as a team. And once we got adapted to it, it became like the one-up thing of like how close you could eat your food and then like go straight into run and like the kind of most fulfilling meal or kind of disgusting meal you could have. And I think the winner that we all eventually tried was just downing a like, you know, big bottle of chocolate milk or whole milk right before going on the run. And I got to say, you know, you're talking about skim milk or even lightness. You adapt, Brad. You just got to give yourself time. You know, if I could down a whole a glass of whole milk and then go run nine miles at six-something-minute mile pace, you'll be fine in your smoothie. Did you meet your wife through running too, Steve? I did. Yeah, chocolate milk, your wife. It all comes back to running. I was going to give you a harder time, but... um we're trying to build out the the newsletter more as we always are. And we've got, we've got these nice giveaways that we've been doing and we're, we're growing really fast, which is great. Hopefully everyone listening is subscribed. And, um, Steve puts out a free training plan, like the building blocks of how to bring, build a training plan for running and holy shit, we have never had more people subscribe to our newsletter in a two hour period. So Steve, man, the runners, they, they love it. So I, I cannot give you a hard time anymore. And that's why we're talking about milk. I have a question about that, though, Steve. Why Why wouldn't you guys just eat after? Why would you just eat well, after you ran? Because here's the logic, okay? So this is the summers of Houston, Texas. And you got to remember that I'm part of this, this crazy high school team that trained a ton. So we'd run twice a day. And because it's summer in Houston, it's like a billion degrees with a billion percent humidity. Mm-hmm. So you had to basically run, start your run before 7 a.m. or it was god awful. And then you had to wait till the sun kind of was going down, which is after 7 p.m. Mm. So because we ran twice a day, five days a week, and then weekends were once a day, um, what that meant was if we started a run, let's say at 7.30 in the evening, mm-hmm. and you know we'd always meet at the local park. So you drive there, you go for your run. Again, it's a lot of miles, takes about an hour and change. You drive back home. By that time, it's like, you know, nine o'clock. And then you know you have to get up at like 6 a.m. the next morning while also recovering because you're running like 80, 90 miles a week. So you didn't want to come home, like throw down a meal and then try to go straight to sleep. So instead, you ate before, you ran, you slammed a Gatorade or something afterwards. And then you went to bed and then repeated the process. It had some logic behind it. That makes sense. So you're not on the, um, Nate, one of our, uh, one of our employees or coworkers here at the growth equation behind the scenes, Nate, uh, Steve referenced him on a podcast not too far back where he was, uh, the one who dropped a few of us on the growth equation. We had a little growth equation retreat and Nate was there and uh, picked up the pace and Steve was able to hang with him. And uh, I was one of the ones who was dropped. Thank you, Steve, for not naming me by name in that podcast. But anyway, Nate, uh, you don't subscribe to his theory of eating all calories or like half of his calories after 9 p.m. Despite the fact that it seems to work for him since he is essentially an Olympic athlete. You know, I I give him kudos and credit. I think that works. I mean, it reminds me of the old story of the uh, the marathoner Bill Rogers, who was training so much that I, I believe it was he had like a jar of mayonnaise next to his bed, where he just like you know wake up at whenever he did in the middle of the night, take a scoop, get some calories because like it was the only way he could get enough calories in. So you know, sometimes if you're training enough. Anything burns and you just you just gotta down stuff. So I I I don't discount that theory. 
I forgot if it was General McChrystal or Petraeus, but one of the the better known generals would only eat one meal a day because it was distracting to them to think about food. And I heard them being interviewed and then someone else that served with them called them out and said, that's not true. You always had that huge bag of pretzels at your desk. And the response like, well, pretzels aren't real food. So their diet was like a jumbo bag of pretzels until nine and then dinner. So there's all kinds of ways. And, and I mean, and these guys are elite generals. So there's, there's all kinds of ways to make it work. Yeah, I do the mayo thing too, but it's not because I'm training for anything. I just sometimes I have a bad dream and you know wake up in the middle of the night, want to have a little mayonnaise next to me for uh, for some comfort. Is there um, is there is there to, to, to we can get off milk? But is there actual science behind which milk is the healthiest for you? I mean, I know there probably is. If you're trying to reduce calories, then it is the lower calorie milk. If you're trying to mm-hmm. um, gain calories. If you're someone that's like frail, you want the highest calorie milk. If you are lactose intolerant, you probably want to avoid cow milk. If you're allergic to almonds, you don't want almond milk. Um, I think that they're all fine. All I know is they're the recovery drink of choice. Even even the milk industry, even if they were using that as advertising, there's still some research behind that. So, you know, slam your milk after your run or workout and you're in a good spot. We'll be sponsored by a, a milk company here in no time. <laughs> we could get all of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're we're agnostic. We're agnostic. We're non-denominational when it comes to milk. One other thing I thought might be interesting to talk about, um, unless you guys want to continue on milk, I'm happy to spend a whole episode debating the merits of different type of milks. Um, I'm somebody who's like very interested in routine as you guys are, I'm sure, but like habits, routines. And Brad, I know you just, you know, had this sort of press tour blitz. Um, so you were traveling for that. Even when you weren't traveling, I imagine you had a lot more sort of like Zooms and interviews to do. And Steve, you've gone through that as well before when you've, you know, when you travel for speaking gigs or you've done a press tour of your own. And I'm curious how you guys think about like staying consistent, maintaining your routines, not falling into um, bad habits when you're on the road. So I'm curious, like how you guys, what are some tips and tricks you have? Cause I think when people are listening to this, it'll probably be around Thanksgiving or maybe, you know, the holidays are coming up Christmas, people are going to be traveling. And I think that's when people can sort of get off their routine. So I'm curious how you guys think about, um, ways to maintain it on the road. Yeah, I'm in the thick of this right now. I am in a stretch where I'm in five different States in five weeks. Um, Chicago, Rhode Island, California, Arizona, New York. So all over the map, a lot of travel. And the first thing that I do, and this might be because I'm healthy, this might be because I have mental illness, is I find a hotel near a good gym. So um, what I'll do is I'll look at the map of the area and just find like a big gym that's going to have everything. Um, if it's, uh, I, I mean, I like to go to a smaller independent gym if there is one, but if not, I'll just find like a golds or an Equinox or club fitness, blink fitness, whatever. Uh, and then I pick the hotel based on proximity to that gym. So it needs to be walkable. And if there's a city where that doesn't exist, well then you just use the hotel gym and that's totally fine too. Uh, so I make sure that I stay up with my physical practice when I'm on the road. If anything, I often have more time to train when I'm traveling, uh, because I don't have my kids and my wife and normal responsibilities of, of being at home. Um, and then I, I, I like to go sample different gyms and see what that's all about. Mm -hmm. So the physical practice is fairly easy. Um, nutrition, I'm training enough right now where I don't really need to pay too much attention to what I eat. And I think it's fine for my health. Um, so I don't, I don't have specific dietary restrictions or specific ways of eating. Um, so when I'm on the road, I mean, it's always fairly easy to, to not eat like total crap. Uh, but that's not, that's not a concern for me. I mean, I'll bring like beef jerky and protein bars for the flight. Cause leaving out of Asheville, like everything to the West side of the country connects. So going to Arizona, it's like an eight hour flight, Oakland, nine hours. Um, 
And for that, though, like the airport food's gotten really good, especially like some of the big airports. They've got like food trucks, essentially. Uh, coming back from New York, I had sushi at Newark that was like dynamite. Um, yeah, legit good sushi at Newark from this little mark. I had a Korean bibimbap bowl one time recently at an airport. And then you can never go wrong with just like the, the classic airport sandwich on uh, like a sourdough bread, you know, turkey and cheese. So I don't, I don't really struggle too much with routine on the road at all. Hang on. You had sushi at Newark? That is I'd- outrageous. I had sushi at Newark and it was not bad. It wasn't like one of those like cool, fancy sushi bars. It was, you know, pre, pre-made. And the way that they served it was actually kind of gross because they put like two rolls and they wrapped each in plastic and you filled up a box of these little two rolls wrapped in plastic. So I was skeptical. Um, but I wasn't paying. Uh, League Apps, Next Up Conference, thank you very much. They foot the bill for the sushi. I had $40 of sushi. I feel like David Brooks... You know that David Brooks social media post that almost got him canceled for the 48th time, like at Newark, like no wonder Americans are mad. I just spent $84 on a meal at Newark. And then the restaurant owner's like, bro, the sandwich was $16. You had four whiskeys. Um, I didn't do that. I just went to town on the sushi, but it was good. Wow. No wonder you got COVID. Your body was probably working overtime trying to protect against whatever bacteria was in that sushi you had from Newark. But anyway, I digress. Um, but the main thing, so to be serious, the main thing is I I, I prioritize a hotel with a good gym or yeah. ideally a hotel near a gym. And not even because I can't use the hotel gym, but it is genuinely now just like a fun thing to go see gyms in different places and see the culture of the people that are working there. Like I get the workout in, but it's more of like a, a fun anthropological thing for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you, Steve? I assume you maintain your your running schedule when you're on the road, but are there other yeah. things you do? So I, I think number one, similar to Brad, is the fitness is number one. And like Brad, I try to get hotels that are near parks and paths. But, you know, when that's out of my control, for instance, when I was coaching collegiate athletes and I didn't pick the hotels for our track stuff and we were gone every weekend, I just do a little reconnaissance, which goes a long way, which is go on you know, Google Maps and see if there's any parks or trails or anything nearby. And if not, if there's any like neighborhood or paths that I can run on. And then like my last choice is obviously the hotel treadmill gym thing that that goes on there. Um, But it's it's the planning that I think, uh, you know, does it. And I think also seeing it as I saw it as like opportunity to explore areas. So often what I do is try and get a longer run through a new area or new city where I got to kind of sightsee a little bit, even if I'm there for business. So I think that's number one. Um, And same with like planning that is I would try and make sure I knew where was free in my schedule, where I was going to get exercise. Often it was the first thing in the morning, but you know, sometimes, uh, especially around races and things like that, when I was coaching, uh, that wasn't the case. So just kind of doing my due diligence. I think like Brad, you know, we're similar here too, is I don't have any crazy dietary uh, restrictions. So I just try and eat smart. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have this long running streak of not eating at restaurants like McDonald's or Burger King or things like that since I was in high school. So that doesn't even like come through my my mind so i'm i'm really good at just being like okay what's good enough uh that i can eat here and then the other thing that i would say is also for like getting work done if i need to get non travel work like if i'm traveling for a speaking thing or a book there's often work that's outside of that um i just i just try and be kind of diligent about it so actually on planes is one of my favorite places to write because, you know, like Brad always says, I'm too cheap to buy the Wi-Fi. So it provides this perfect opportunity of like two, three, four, whatever hours of like no one can disturb me. So I'm just going to like crank. Uh, similarly, if I'm somewhere and I have a longer block of time, I look for local coffee shops and places to kind of get me out of the hotel and, and uh, ability to kind of get some stuff done. Um, and then I also just kind of, you know, look for spaces again, 
going back to when I was a college coach, sometimes you'd be at the track for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours, which you can either mindlessly spend. And, and during that eight hours, you might have people run like three times, right? So you have a lot of downtime. So it's getting real strategic about, okay, how am I going to use this downtime? Um, and of course, some is just going to be shooting the shit and killing time and actual coaching. But other times it's like, well, you know, do I have a book that I'm bringing with me to read? Do I have my laptop charged? And am I going to work on something that I can kind of work on where I won't need full attention? And it's just kind of doing your due diligence of, uh, of that if it needs to, needs to get done. I think that a challenge that some people face, particularly around holidays and family, is the perception, whether it's reality or not, that like if I go to the gym or I go to a workout when I'm traveling, when I only have three, four days with family, they're going to be like, well, why are you spending an hour and a half at the gym? Why aren't you with us? And I think that there, um, you just have to be okay with that thought and with the fact that maybe people are thinking that, but probably not. They're probably glad to get a break from you anyways. Um, and I think if it's such a part of your routine, you just simply say like, yeah, this is, this is really important to me and anyone can come like include people, right? You guys can come if you want, be glad to show you. And most of the time people don't come, but I think that a lot of times you hold that in your own mind. If you have like passive aggressive parents, they're like, oh, you only visit us three times a year and you're going to go to the gym. I think the answer is like, yeah, just for an hour. I, I mean, there's still 23 other hours in the day. I think it'll be all right. Um, but I think a, a lot of this is is just assumptions that people make about how their family or their friends or their colleagues are going to feel. And if anyone gets frustrated with you for prioritizing your physical health, uh, that that's kind of like a joke to me. I wouldn't take that person very seriously. But I do think on nutrition, uh, Steve and I speak from a point where, again, like we're pretty omnivores, or omnivorous, maybe that's the word. Uh, I think if you have a specific diet that you stick to because you have an allergy or like you have a legitimate gluten intolerance, you have celiacs or Crohn's or something, uh, that is very serious and, and probably very challenging to, to navigate. Um, however, if you're someone that sticks to a fairly restrictive diet for a non-medical reason, I actually think traveling is like a really good opportunity to play around with going off it and like feeling discomfort uh, and still being okay. Because again, like you can tend to, you know, I'm not saying like you should eat Bojangles for every meal, although I've done that. I don't recommend it. Uh, but it's a good opportunity to say like, all right, even if, even if eating healthy is really important, or even if I've been on a weight loss journey and I feel really good about that. Um, a calorie is a calorie in many ways. So yeah, like if I'm going to be eating unhealthy food, like I just have to eat a little bit less or I have to say, Hey, it's the holidays. I'm going to give my self permission to like not think about food for a few days and, uh, and that'll be okay too. Yeah. And the, the, the other thing I'd add in there is, especially on the exercises, I think it's really important on travel to lower the bar a little bit. So if you're used to, you know, running 10 miles a day, like you might not get that in and that's fine, but like expect and know that going in. So the way I would kind of do this is I'd have like different options for myself. So if I was feeling energized and had the time, maybe it would be a normal long run or a normal longer workout or whatever I had planned that day. But I also had B and C options where if I woke up and I'm like, oh, I kind of kind of rushed or kind of fatigued from whatever's going on. Or as Brad said, I only have you know, 30 minutes before the in-laws yell at me or whatever it is, like just have some options there. I mean, one of my favorite go-tos for running is, you know, if I got 30 minutes or less, I just see it as like, well, I'm going to do a progression run for 30 minutes where I finish kind of feeling pretty close to dead and it starts out easy. So you warm up into it and you don't need any break. So it's just like an easy way to know it's not like the full workout, but you you get something in and you feel kind of refreshed and energized and it's worthwhile and maintains your fitness, but it only takes, you know, 25, 30 minutes and you're, you're good to go. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I was going to say the same thing about, I think you got to let go of the preciousness a little bit of your workout when you're traveling. Um, there's one, I, have you guys ever heard of like, I think I've heard it called the card workout, but also the, I've also heard it called the jail workout, but it's basically you take a deck of cards, you pick three exercises. So like, 
push-ups, squats, sit-ups, and you flip over the card and whatever number that is, that's how many push-ups you do. Next card is squats, next is sit-ups, and you just go through a whole deck. And and for the faces, you can equate, right? So jack would be 11, queen would be 12, king would be 13, ace can be 1 or 14, depending on how hard you're trying to make your workout. But it's it's a thing where like, yeah, you don't need you don't need equipment. You just need like a deck of cards. You can even get an app on your phone. I've done that before that acts like a deck of cards and you just need, you know, 25, 30 minutes. And it's this idea of like, yeah, you're not you're not going to be hitting your, you know, your usual lifting routine necessarily, but it keeps you it gives you that little hit of like, okay, I did do something today. So that, you know, if you're on the road for a week, you don't miss six days in a row and you come back and you've completely felt like you slid down to the bottom of the mountain. That's right. And most places have equipment. Um, most hotels have some gyms, even if they're meager. Uh, I will say that even if you don't have equipment, you know, there's still plenty that you can do. Another similar workout is uh, colloquially called an every minute on the minute. So you would just pick X amount of exercises. And then you'd say, for 30 seconds out of a minute, I'm just going to do it. And then I'm going to rest and then move on to the next one. So even if you had no equipment, you could do air squats, push-ups, wall sits, and jumping jacks. And 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, whatever your fitness is. And you cycle through something like that six times for 24 minutes, and like you get a good workout, you feel like you did something. And, and, and if it's important for you to feel like you had that workout, that will accomplish that goal. Yeah. And it reminds me, it actually is making me think now of an idea of rugged flexibility that you talk about in your book, um, which also echoes some of the, some of the work done by um, Katie Milkman, which a little spoiler alert, she will be on the, the podcast in the future, but she talks about in her book, how to change, how, the best habits are ones that you can actually be a little flexible with. So people who like have to meditate at the same time every day, when they get thrown off their routine, it they sometimes it's very black and white. They're either meditating at 8 a.m., they're not meditating at all. And the people who have the stickiest habits are actually the ones who say, okay, I'm not going to be able to meditate at 8 a.m. I'm not going to be able to meditate for 20 minutes, but I'm going to get seven minutes in between these two meetings. Um, so yeah, and again, it's a lot like rugged flexibility from your book, Brad. Yeah, it's like the ruggedness is physical activity or fitness, and that doesn't go away. You take that with you everywhere, but then the flexibility is, well, how do you practice that? Mm -hmm. And if in your normal life, it's an hour and a half at the gym, uh, it might not be like that on the road. Um, I think that if you're someone that's training for a specific goal, uh, I like how you use the word precious. You can think your workout is really precious, but you can also stack a big training block before a vacation and then use that vacation for recovery. So like, even if you're someone that is like on a cycle or a program that you feel really attached to, you can build rest into the program at the same time you're on vacation. I think for most amateur athletes, I see Steve kind of looking like, are you kidding? For most amateur athletes, this stuff doesn't really matter at all. But if you think it matters and you're attached to it and you're not ready to enter therapy to disattach from it, then um, you can just build in that block of time is, is recovery. I, I think this also goes to the idea that if you learn how to do different workouts mm. instead of seeing it as like, oh, this is, you know, I need to do 800 meter repeats and do this or a five mile tempo run and do this, like if you vary the speed, intensity, recovery, all that, you can do, you can get the same or similar adaptations in a variety of ways. So for example, um, if I have a tempo run and I got to go run five miles at a steady pace and I don't have room to do that, like you could literally do hundred meters down and back with very short rest at, you know, a pretty good tempo. And it would mimic like the tempo run kind of adaptation. So whenever I think of going on trips or vacations or way back in the day when I was training really hard in high school and we'd go on these really annoying family vacations, for instance, once I remember we went on a cruise ship and it was a nightmare for me um, because it had like this 200 meter track on the top of the deck. And when the boat was going, you had like a you know, whatever, 30 mile an hour wind with you and then against you. And it really killed my training. And I, I ran a ton. Um, but I had to get really innovative for workouts on, on how to do that. 
And I think that was a very good, you know, uh, lesson for me and that it didn't have to be exactly what was written or exactly what it, you know, what I thought it would be or what's in the book. You just get creative and your fitness will still be there. Yeah, it's like the two extremes. The one is get creative and your fitness will still be there. And the other is who cares what other people think? I'm just going for it. And Steve's done that too. When we launched Peak Performance, we were in a hotel in Boston for a talk at a bookstore. And um, I'll never forget this. I This is back in my running days. And I'm in the hotel. And you know, I'm just like, I'm going to do an easy run. What are you going to do? Steve's like, yeah, I'm just going to do an easy run, get some nerves out, keep it light. So I'm on the treadmill, I don't know, sitting like 7.30 to 8.30 pace. And Steve just starts ramping this thing up. And the ground is shaking. Next thing I know, Steve's shirt is off in the hotel gym. He is riding this treadmill so hard. I can no longer be on the treadmill next to Steve because I don't want people to think like we're together. I don't think he's my boyfriend or something. I don't want to think I know this guy. So I go to the other area of the gym and start lifting weights. And then I just observe like 19 people walked into the gym and then turned around and left the gym. Um, so, you know, sometimes you just got to go for it too. And, and if people have a problem with it, it's on them. You know, you can't wear your shirt when you're running like five minute pace. It's a rule. What was the, do you remember what pace you were running? I've never seen a treadmill do that before. It was nuts. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I was probably maxing it out. So most treadmills depend. I mean, it depends. Like some go to five minute pace, some will go to four something pace, but somewhere in that area. Those were the days when I was fit, you know, and I cared about staying fit. Now I'm, now I'm more like Brad used to be. <laughs> wow. I would not have pegged you as a shirt off in the hotel gym kind of guy, Steve. I'm learning a lot about both of you today. Brad's eat sushi in Newark and you're a, you're a, a shirt off in the gym kind of guy. You no, you gotta understand. I, if I'm lifting weights, there's no shirt. Off. <laughs> when was the, when was the last time? When was the last time you lifted weights in the gym? When I was a competitive runner, man, I lifted twice twice a week. So what? Fourteen years ago? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, besides, well, rehabbing my Achilles, I lifted. I'll give you that, but. You know, I'm not a shirt off when lifting guy, but you know, when you're running fast and you're inside and you know, it's 70 something degrees and it's often kind of stuffy, you gotta, you gotta maximize your chances, you know? And plus I grew up, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Like I wore, you know, my shirt was off for 95% of my runs because it was always hot and humid. And if you wore a shirt, it was going to be like completely soaked. So there was no point to it. So even now, like um, I'm a shirts off when running kind of guy. So if I can get away with it, I'm going to get away with it. Including at the Westin, Boston. <laughs> Do you, I wonder if any of the people who walked in and out of the gym were there for your talk and were like, oh, wow, this guy's really living the, living the brand. Uh, no, back then, I, no. Back then, I was going to say, back then, I think we got, we were lucky if we had eight people show up from our talk and four of them were just looking for a warm place because they were experiencing homelessness. <laughs> I believe the term is unhoused now, Brad. Uh, but the thing you said before that, Steve, that, that stuck out to me is the idea of cre- like the creativity aspect. Because I think that's something else I've learned too about have, like like coming up with the, I mean, I didn't come up with it, but having to use the card workout like I'm at people can't see, but I'm in a different place today. I'm at home, uh, my mom's house in Connecticut and like, there's no gym here. And so I got to get creative about like, not, I mean, there's a gym down in town, but like, I usually don't go to it. Um, and so, whereas in New York, there's gyms way close, there's closer. So when I'm here, I sort of have to like figure out, okay, what am I going to do? And I like that aspect of like designing something like tapping into that creative side where it's not just, I'm going to do the same work I did last Tuesday. You're going to have to switch it up. Because what's cool about that, I've found, is that you can then learn new things, learn new workouts, and use them again later. Um, and that's like when I've had to been when I've been forced out of my routine and had to get creative. I've learned different ways of working out that I didn't implement when I go back to my like normal way of living. And that's that's I, fun. That creative aspect. I mean, I think this is one of those examples where co- constraints are beneficial. Right. Where you have a constraint, it forces you to do something and figure out a new way to do something, which often sometimes is often better than the original way. 
And, you know, I was fortunate or unfortunate to learn this early through my kind of psychoticness in running. But as I said, like I'd be on vacations or, you know, we'd go to some Caribbean island that had like one road or like there'd be snow or lightning or whatever have you. And you figure like I was psychotic enough to be like, hey, I'm not going to I'm not going to take the day off. So I need to get something in. Um, And that craziness allowed me to kind of come up with a lot of new ways. So from, Mm -hmm. you know, sprints up a parking garage to whatever, whatever have you like runs late at night where you're doing circles in a park in a parking lot. Like you just figure out how to how to creatively get in a workout. And I think you can do that without the craziness as well. In fact, it's probably better if you do it without the craziness. But what that does is it opens your eyes and you realize, okay, even if I had this long run scheduled, like I can still get something else in that is beneficial and that doesn't drive me mad. Um, and yeah, that the same goes for lifting or whatever your athletic activity is. Another thing that always I find like, gets messed up often during travel and I have a hard time. I sort of beat myself up for is like productivity. I often find that you're just like, I mean, you mentioned Steve, like finding a coffee shop, but sometimes I can land in a new place and like, okay, I've got an hour and a half, but I get overwhelmed by like, where's the coffee shop? Where am I going to do my work? And I just sort of like, I find it hard to find the pockets of time. Or maybe you think, Oh, I'm going to get some work done on the plane. You end up in a middle seat you like can't really use your laptop in the way you want it. And it's like, all right, damn, I missed the window there. So how do you guys think about being productive? Do you sort of, how do you approach that on the road? Do you sort of give yourself a little bit more slack and forgiveness? And maybe you're not going to get everything done that you want. Are you really rigorous about them? I have a 90 minute chunk here. I'm really going to lock in. I'm curious how you, how you think about that. You maybe starting with you, Brad, since Steve talked about it a little bit before. Can you clarify, are you talking about if you are on vacation or no, I more mean traveling like on the road, during work. Yeah. yeah. Traveling during work, yeah. Yeah, I mean again, it's it's a little bit different I think because you don't have kids, at least not not kids that it, that I know about, maybe not kids that you know about. But um in many ways being on the road is is fairly easy to get work done because I don't have these two young kids um that are lovely but just demand a, a lot of attention. Um and a German shepherd that demands a lot of attention. So I don't, I don't struggle too much. I think that I don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I'm happy to work in a hotel room. Um, even in the middle seat, I think you're being a little bit soft. I think like the plane is such a good space to get work done, whether it's writing, reading, uh, thinking, you name it. Um, so definitely take advantage of the flights. I never called Steve cheap for not getting Wi-Fi. I called Steve cheap for not paying for a, a, a Zoom when we first started this podcast. So we'd record and it would cut us off at 40 minutes on the free one and then we'd have to start again. That's where I called Steve's cheap. I'm a big fan of not getting Wi-Fi on the plane because like, again, it really, that constraint can help you get a lot of stuff done instead of just refresh your email. Um, and then no surprise, I do like the the coffee shop thing for the same reason that I like the different gym thing. I just like to go get a sense of the place by doing what I would do if I lived there. So what's really important to me, like outside of my family is the the gym and the coffee shop. So I go sample them. Um, but again, perfect's not the enemy of good. Like if you can't find a coffee shop or you have analysis paralysis, there's always a Starbucks somewhere. So just go to Starbucks. Um, but then I also, I think that at least for me right now, when I'm traveling for the book, um, I give myself permission on travel days to have a clear calendar. So I don't schedule anything the day that I'm traveling and the day of the talk so that the time is mine and I can use it to write, to edit the newsletter if Steve is writing that week, so on and so forth. But I find that what happens is if I start scheduling stuff while I'm on the road, that makes it a little bit trickier because then... Like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going to be available in terms of where to work. So it's just like one more complexity into something that I want to keep simple. Um, now, is it to say that I always do that? No. For instance, like this week, I, I, I when, when we're recording, at least this week, I'm going to be in Providence, Rhode Island. 
and I'm recording a podcast. It's a big podcast, The Good Life Project. And I think you were on there, Steve. Were you on The Good Life Project? I was on hundreds of podcasts, so I have no idea, but I think so. Yeah, nice enthusiasm for the fine folks at The Good Life Project from Steve Magnus. <laughs> um, so they all blend together, Brad. They all blend together. It's a good together. podcast. It's a good podcast, and it's in, in their scheduling windows were hard, so I'm recording while traveling. Um, and I think just like being intentional. So that just means like I needed to get a late checkout so that I could stay at the hotel room to record this podcast. And instead of flying home at 11 a.m., I need to fly home at 2.30 p.m. Um, and just making that decision and being okay with it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm, as I outlined, I'm, I'm similar there. I, I like to think of it as like, know your priorities and what you're trying to get done, but I'm not a big fan of scheduling either. I just kind of know, hey, this is what I I need to or want to work on, and then give my space myself the space to do so. And I use the environment to often like invite that. So that's why I think going to a coffee shop while you're um, while you're traveling is pretty good. But again, sometimes I do it in the hotel room. But it's just like using that space to kind of invite the the work that you you want is really uh, important. I think the other thing is that you know, when it comes to prioritizing work is I think often when we're, you know, somewhere else and out of our kind of rhythm and routine, it can kind of be overwhelming of like, oh, I could respond to emails. I could edit the newsletter. I could, you know, write this or that or do X, Y, and Z. And I almost look at it as like, what like chunk of time do I have? So if I need to do a big writing project, maybe I save that for where it's like, oh, I've got three hours at a coffee shop to kill, like get it done. If I'm at, for instance, in a past life, if I'm on a 45 minute bus ride to track meet, maybe that's the time I go through my emails or go through editing something that is like, "Uh, if I don't get it all done during this, it's not a big deal, but it gives me something to kind of do in this, this space. So I, I think kind of prioritizing in that way helps to kind of organize stuff uh, so that you don't feel kind of overwhelmed of like new environment, new routine. What am I supposed to actually be doing? I will say, because I maybe I'm, I'm painting myself to be more zen and flexible than I actually am. Uh, I do travel with like eight protein bars in my backpack. Uh, and here's why. It, it It can be sometimes hard to like, hit protein requirements for the kind of training that I'm doing. And you don't want to like have to constantly go eat. Uh, and I think like just having some bars or something that's a go-to that you can have like for a snack is really helpful. And I also would much rather do that than spend $9 at a coffee shop for snack, have to save the receipt so I can expense it. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, I actually stopped doing that altogether. I don't save receipts now on meals. And I just figure like they have to hopefully trust me. And if not, I guess I could go to a credit card statement. That's a whole other thing. But like, if you're traveling for work, for me, nothing is more of a pain in the ass than submitting expenses for like, I bought $4.50 cookie. And like, I don't want to save that receipt. It gets all crinkled up in my pocket or my backpack. Um so, you know, I try to avoid like the the small stuff or I guess I'm cheap and I should just pay for the freaking cookie and not expense it to to whoever I'm traveling for. Thank God you're not part of the NCAA, man. If you don't have those receipts, they'll they'll tear you apart even though, <laughs> you know, some football coaches paying someone under the table, but you know, if there's you don't a, there's have an your official receipts. there's an official fancy scientific term for this. I'm forgetting what it is, but it's something like bureaucratic burden. And they talk about this often. It's really terrible with like people signing up for Medicaid, like people that actually need help is that they make it so hard to do these things just so people don't do them. Mm. So like that's happened to me. There have been certain clients, I'm not going to name them, where it's so freaking hard to get reimbursed. I'm just like, screw it. It's not worth $150 to get these two meals or I guess four meals reimbursed. I'm just going to pay because my time is more valuable. I can't spend a half day signing up for your system. Um, but that's a real thing. That, that is the NCAA, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, I love the, I love the bars point though, Brad, cause I'm similar. I always try to have 
like almonds, basically. And I always try to remember to buy them before I get to the airport because you try to buy almonds at Hudson News. It's like $26. Um, but I, I agree because I'm definitely susceptible to the what in psychology is referred to as the what the hell effect, which is like I'm pretty – when I'm in my space, I'm pretty disciplined about what I eat. But if I'm on the road and I don't have like almonds or a protein bar, then I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll just have a you know fried chicken sandwich. And then the what the hell effect is like, well, what the hell? If I just went off for that meal, I might as well just go completely off the rails. And I don't mean that this is like a lot of diet culture is sneaking in here. I don't mean to be moralizing food and say – fried chicken sandwich is bad and nuts are good, but it can sort of get me on a, it can spin me into a a cycle of not eating the way I want to eat. Um, And so just, I find that doing a little bit of preparation, having some protein bars, having some almonds, having something that you can snack on gives you a sense of like control and order when you're going to be in a maybe chaotic environment and not know what's going to be available to you. Yeah. And I think that it's just harder to overeat Almonds, although I've done it, it can be done, um, especially if they're honey roasted, then it, then it is fried chicken. I do wonder if I'll ever hit enough of adult maturity to be able to enjoy pizza without making myself sick. There's just something about pizza where like, I always just want more pizza and I'm either like exerting a fair amount of willpower and being like, I just got to stop at three pieces. Cause I know if I eat more, I'll feel terrible the next morning. Or I just go for it. Like there's no four pieces. It's either like three pieces in willpower or eight pieces and I'm just sick. <laughs> Steve, Steve, you don't have this problem, do you? You're looking at me funny. I mean, no, but I also don't like, so this sounds bad, but there are very few things where I could overeat it and feel bad the next morning. Like morally, physically, what do you mean? No, I'm I mean, not talking like, about phys- morally. No, I'm physically. talking about like I wake up and my I stomach see. is like no. sloshy and yeah. I mean, if I ate eight pieces of pizza, like yeah, I'd be I'd feel full. But the next morning, like I wouldn't I'd be yeah. like, yeah, whatever. It's so, probably because you just burn. You're just probably burning yeah. like crazy calories. It's probably he's got, the, the, he's got those 401 genetics, Clay. Metabolism, yeah, man. It's all those years of eating a, a big meal and going running. You know, that body's just cooking nonstop. It's, it's the, the new method. diet. The Magnus yeah. method. The Magnus method. Forget Rip. fasting, guys. Why are we jumping on fasting? You need to gorge, then go work out. Drink we, a gallon. We had, of- we, we had some behind-the-scenes talk that um, <laughs> that Steve <laughs> is just ripe for uh, an adult performance company. Uh, he's got the Magnus method, the growth equation, do hard things. Uh, Steve, if he wanted to make a buck, he, he's in the wrong space to be an influencer. Only fans, here we come. Ah! Only fans, get the Magnus method at Only Fans. <laughs> oh man, that seems like a great place to put a point on this on this uh, delightful conversation. This was good. I hope uh, people are as it's going to have some people who have some travel coming up. Maybe you're listening to this while traveling right now. Um, People who are struggling with their milk decisions, yeah, or whether to leave their shirt on at the gym at the treadmill at the gym. You know, take your shirt off always. (laughs) Eat the sushi at Newark. Take your shirt off. Try the sushi at Newark, and and it's worth paying for Oatly for your iced coffee. Um, you know, the last thing I'll say, I wasn't going to say it and and there's a lot going on in the world and this is separate from it, but I think the whole milk thing could be a Jewish thing. So neither of you guys are Jewish, right? No. Yeah. I don't think Jewish people drink whole milk. I could just be wrong, but I've never met someone that's Jewish that drinks whole milk. And growing up, I would remember I'd go to my, my Christian friend's house and they'd always have like a glass of whole milk with dinner. And I thought this was so weird. Like, who drinks a glass of milk with dinner? And I remember once I asked my Jewish friend, Greg Schumer, and he said, yeah, I don't understand. But every time I go to Rachel's house, Rachel wasn't Jewish, very Jewish name, like they always have milk. So then amongst my Jewish friends, we kind of like did this poll, like, do any of your families have milk with dinner? And the answer was always no. So I think there's a cultural thing there. And, huh. you know, now, now that you've heard it, you're never going to be able to unhear it. And when you look around in the world, it's 
turning into a curb episode. I don't think you should be asking people their their ethnicity in, in their milk choices. But I, I do think uh, there might be a, a cultural thing happening with the whole milk versus the, the 2% milk. And like I said, um, I hope I don't piss any listeners off. If you're drinking skim milk, I understand there are reasons to end up there. Um, but I hope that you can find your way out because there are just so many better options. I wish you guys could got, see the look on Steve's face. <laughs> I I got nothing, man. I don't know. I'll have to go ask my uh, high school Jewish friends if they drink whole milk or not. I don't remember. <laughs> so that there's our investigation. Listeners, yeah. if you want to contribute to our poll, please send your milk preferences <laughs> to Brad Stolper. No, you can't do this, Steve. No. <laughs> That is not appropriate. Cue the music in the episode. We are, we, get we are not. We are. We are not keeping a database of milk preference of milk preferences in ethnicity. I feel like Instagram already knows that about you, anyways. Uh, but we are not. We are not going down that road. We will be a uh, a big data, behaviorally engineering podcast free. And um, like Clay pointed out, Oatly, Almond Breeze. Uh, Cheshire Farms. If you guys are listening, and I know you sponsor podcasts because Derek Thompson's podcast, Plain English, for a hot minute was sponsored by a Wisconsin cheese company. So if you're out there and you represent a milk company and you're looking for the perfect brand partner, um, I hope that you've heard it today. The Men at the Growth Equation, we are dedicated to milk. We are milk agnostic. We celebrate all milk um, with the exception of skim. And so <laughs> you'll be the first to have the Magnus method if you sponsor our podcast. There you go. All right. With that, um, we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, give us your feedback. Uh, I had fun today. Uh, hopefully you laughed and learned a thing or two. Uh, it's been a pleasure welcoming Clay onto the team and um, onward we'll go. So uh, if you like the show, rate it. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and we will catch you next Wednesday. Bye.